Welcome. We're Jackie and Brian, and this is As the Ice Cream Churns. Together, we founded Ample Hills Creamery, one of the most beloved ice cream brands of the last decade. Then we lost it all. We filed for bankruptcy a day before New York City shut down due to COVID-19. Now, someone else owns Ample Hills, and we're out of work. But we're ready to start over. Come join us for an exploration of what went wrong, and more importantly, what comes next. Our guides are close friend, Debbie Rosen. She created the cracked cookies in our hit flavor, salted cracked caramel. When she's not baking, she's a therapist. We thought she could help us navigate these troubled waters. Let's get started. Hi there. Hey, Deb. Hello. Hey. So in the last episode, you talked about a line between the attention from Disney and the troubles you experienced with the company. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. I mean, so really, uh, it probably be unfair to blame Disney for all the troubles that happened uh, over the coming years. I mean, it'd be nice to blame somebody other than ourselves, but really what I, I mean is the decisions that we made as a result of all the opportunities that Disney afforded us. The decisions that we made, certainly you could draw a straight line from there to all of the troubles that we ended up having. Um, but of course, you know, I talk about that straight line. It's not really a line across. It's more of a line straight up the side of a mountain. I mean, to this incredible peak uh, that we were facing. Uh, but of course, on the other side of that mountain was a cliff that we fell off of and tumbled down. Before we get to the cliff, why don't you tell more about the climb up? Yes, I, I think that I think that would be helpful. I, I think so. Really. Um, you know, from that moment that Bob f sent that first email, it set a whole bunch of things in motion uh, with the relationship with Disney um, that led to lots of different um, opportunities. The The first one that was the, the first uh, real tangible uh, opportunity that came about was opening that store at Disney that he even mentioned in that very first email, right? Uh, maybe Ample Hills at Disney. Um, so there's a, a place uh, in Disney in Orlando uh, on the boardwalk. It's a series of hotels around a, a boardwalk that looks like the Jersey Shore on a lake. And, um, and they had a space there uh, for us and they wanted to uh, open a shop. And so uh, we flew down there. Uh, we met with the team. Um, we uh, designed a whole concept for this shop and we worked with them to build out this shop. But of course, to build out a shop at Disney uh, with the projections for the numbers of people and the masses of people that come through any Disney property in Orlando, also people buy ice cream all year round in Orlando, uh, we knew that we couldn't possibly make that ice cream out of that shop in Gowanus. I mean, there, there was no way we could make enough product and get it down to Orlando. And so it precipitated the need to build a larger space, a factory. Um, and of course, we couldn't build a factory with just the sales from the shops that we had. So that precipitated the need to go out and raise money. I mean, we really had to, for the first time, 
uh, raise uh, money, sell equity in the company, uh, and go out and uh, do that in order to finance um, this growth plan, which, you know, up to this point, it had all been self-financed. We'd open shops based on the profits from the previous shops. The shops were profitable. We had gone on a nice, slow and steady path. And this was now, the idea was raise money, uh, rocket fuel, um, build a factory, build a lot more shops, and take off because, you know, you've got Disney and you've got this Disney opportunity. This is sounds like another spoon in the road, as Jackie says. <laughs> and I'm yeah. wondering, at the time, what were you thinking about this big shift? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't stop and question uh, whether we should or shouldn't do that. So, I mean, it didn't really feel like a, a spoon or a fork in the road at the time, um, because um, how on earth do you say no to Disney and, and I mean, Bob Iger, I mean, like, it's just the, that attention and those ideas um, and those opportunities, you know, and, and truth be told, I, I mean, I don't think we should have said no to them. I mean, even now, I, what I think we should have done is made a few different decisions along the way, sort of after these decisions. Um, but, but really, it came down to like, getting that factory and the decisions that we made in terms of where to put the factory, I think probably um, had nothing, obviously had nothing to do with Disney, but it had to do with ultimately some of the, the, the problems that happened. I mean, do you want to talk, Jackie, a little bit about where uh, we were looking originally? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, we were looking for, obviously, we couldn't make ice cream in the Gowanus kitchen any longer. So we had, you know, maxed out the space at the Vanderbilt kitchen, which was a very small amount of space. And then we maxed out the um, production space at the Gowanus shop. And so we were looking for something a lot larger. And so the first place that we started to look at was up in Sullivan County, which is about two hours north of New York City. And, um, and it was a large space it was inexpensive. Um, we we got pretty far into looking at that space to, I think, the point of design. Mm -hmm. And then it just felt wrong. We, we took a drive there a couple of times, and it took like two and a half to three hours. And, um, and, it, and it just felt far. We weren't going to leave. Our family was here. Our kids were in school in Brooklyn and New York. And so then we started looking a little closer to the city because we just thought, you know, having a factory in the city was probably not attainable because of the cost. Um, and then we looked at another space in, in Peekskill, which was actually quite beautiful um, and a little closer, but still far. Mm -hmm. And then... <laughs> yeah. Then we met um, Jerry of Ben and Jerry's, right? I yes. Mean, and so uh, somebody on our block, strangely enough, just happened to know Jerry, had grown up with Jerry. Yeah. And came up to us one day and said, hey, you guys own Ample Hills, right? And uh, do you guys want to meet Jerry, Jerry Greenfield? And I'm like... 
Yeah, uh, and so he introduced us to Jerry. We went up to Burlington and met him. You know, I go put my hand out to shake Jerry's hand, and he's like, come on, come on for a hug. You know, we ice cream people hug it out. And, I mean, he was everything you want a hero to be. <laughs> it was very uh, generous so and sweet. So sweet and so warm and just yeah. loving and yeah. supportive and, yeah. you know, just caring. But one of the things that he told us from the very beginning was that the number one marketing decision that Ben and Jerry's ever made uh, in the history of their company uh, which he credited to Ben, um, was to open their factory in um, Burlington and uh, in Vermont and open it to the public and, and have there be this sort of museum guided tour experience to allow people to come and see uh, the process That's and right. touch the ground where Ben and Jerry's was made. I mean, on every pint container, it says Ben and Jerry's, you know, of Vermont, you know, right. and Vermont's finest. And and so it was of a place, and it and it, and that the, even to this day, the Ben and Jerry's is made across seven factories around the world. It's owned by a giant conglomerate, Unilever. People still think of Ben and Jerry's as this company from Vermont, because the factory is still there, and people can still go and touch the ground where uh, ice cream is made. And so for us, it just really hurt that we were abandoning Brooklyn, that we, you know, where we live. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't really build this story in Sullivan County or in Peekskill. We couldn't, you know, have it be a part of, you know, who we were as a company, as a family, um, if it wasn't in Brooklyn. Yeah. And around that time, you know, we had a real estate agent who brought us uh this factory space, this giant warehouse space along the waterfront in Red Hook in Brooklyn. And it was, you know, an 1850s Civil War era uh, tobacco and cocoa beans warehouses. I mean, right along the waterfront, the history uh, that the walls could talk. I mean, it was just it just felt um, so magical and beautiful. And, and in Red Hook, there's so many makers, you know, there's key lime pie makers and there's distillers and um, brewers and chocolate makers. And so to be down there uh, felt right. Yeah, we loved, I mean, we'd always loved Red Hook also and could yeah. walk there and, you know, um, just a great space. Yeah. But in terms of um, how we thought of the space, we, you know, we really wanted it to be a, an interactive, a museum space. And at the time, did you have any reservations? No, I, I mean, I had, we had, we were, we, I, I don't think we had any reservations. We were, we felt a sense of relief, a sense of calm a sense of this is right, like this feels right. It's in Brooklyn. It's in our neighborhood. It's, you know, you know, we, we're there all the time. It, you know, we're going to be able to offer jobs and, you know, livelihood in a factory, you know, in yeah. Brooklyn. Like that, you know, honestly was just, it, it was like, oh, why, why didn't we try and yeah, do this Yeah, we had before? reservations about Peekskill, about yes. Sullivan County. Right. I and mean, that was it. I mean, that was, we, yeah. we realized like, this is it. And so we, we didn't, we really didn't think twice. We knew it would be more expensive and it was, it cost us, you know, the rent was twice as much, um, three times as much maybe. Um, and the build out costs were certainly more, um, I think, um, you know, ultimately, um, 
you know, we could have sort of survived that idea of building it in Brooklyn as opposed to Sullivan County had we just built less of a factory. I think really it was that how how big of a factory we built. Yeah, I mean, we we didn't want it to just be a production space. Had we just, you know, opened a, a production space that wasn't beautiful and glorious and in view on view to the public that, you know, you could kind of interact with the space, um, you know, the way you can now, it would have been a lot cheaper. It's interesting because initially um, you had said that you prepared only for failure Mm -hmm. when you first started. And it sounds now the shift was preparing for success. Mm. Correct. That's right. That's right, because up until this moment of, uh, of bringing the factory online, we couldn't keep up. I mean, every step of the way was always a, a battle to keep up. And I think that the idea of building the factory um, and building it big and building it large like we did, uh, I mean, without the relationship with Disney, we probably eventually would have built a factory. Mm-hmm. But we probably wouldn't have built a factory as large as we built, right? And so it was because of all of these opportunities, these stars in our eyes, if you will, that we saw that we thought we can't fail because we have this big mouse behind us. I mean, like we have this opportunity for uh, the exposure and for the uh, the opportunities to sell. I mean, one of the biggest things was um, uh, Mickey Mouse. I mean, we had, I, I had been sitting on the couch. I remember uh, distinctly sitting on the couch watching TV in uh, late 2017, I think it was, and Bob Iger texted me and he said, you know, next year is Mickey's 90th birthday. You want to do some Mickey Mouse ice cream? And and it's just like, yeah, I want to do Mickey Mouse ice cream. I mean, I you know, you don't think like, hmm, maybe that shouldn't, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that, you know? I mean, it's like the opportunity uh, to work with that property, you know? And I think it, you know, it's important to sort of uh, stop and mention like how we thought of um, working with a licensed property like Mickey Mouse. I mean, most people that work with licensed properties, you know, a serial, Star Wars serial or a, you know, a, a, a Muppet cereal, they would slap a logo and an image on a box of cereal or a box of jelly beans and call it a day. I mean, we wanted to rethink the way licensed products were. And because of that, that focus and our obsession with interest in storytelling that we've talked about, we wanted to tell these new stories with these old properties, like with Mickey Mouse. And so, you know, we decided on three flavors of ice cream and decided on uh, writing these original Mickey Mouse comic strips that celebrated Mickey through the decades. And so we did one flavor that was set in 1928, sort of the Steamboat Willie era of Mickey Mouse. It was all black and white. The artwork was black and white. And one set in the 1950s, 1958. Uh, and then one set in 1998 when Mickey's 90. And the artwork changed over the years. And we did these original comic strips that wrapped around the container. And we worked with Disney's artist and our artist. And we did this original work. And so that that took time and energy and cost a lot of money. But again, it didn't occur to us that um, 
there could be any problem with that. I mean, it was Mickey Mouse and it was Disney and uh, and um, and it was great ice cream. Um, but you know, th so those were sort of some of the the ways that um, that we thought about it. I mean, do we want to? maybe mention a little bit more about how we were thinking about the museum space itself. Well, yeah, I mean, I think part of the, so part of the reason why we wanted to, to you know, have the space in Brooklyn um, and, and the way that we had originally envisioned our Vanderbilt Avenue shop was, was this interactive museum-like experience about how ice cream is made. So when we'd first opened Vanderbilt and we had our tiny little 175-square-foot kitchen, um, the artists that we had worked with at the time had created these um, large um, cutouts of what the insides of the machines looked like and what they did um, to try and bring education and understanding to what these big metal machines did and make it, you know, more user-friendly and understandable, you know, as to how the pasteurizer works and how the batch freezer that makes ice cream works. So, we um so we started that way and we continued th with that that same narrative that same visual that same you know inside experience with the m museum in red hook so we had you know we're 50 percent of you know ice cream factory where we made everything with massive windows onto the factory that explained what the machinery was um, and then 50% um, a bakery because we make, you know, 95% of our mix-ins from scratch in-house, which is also very different from, you know, most other ice cream um, places. And, um, and then we also wanted to have interactive exhibits so that kids could come in, you know, look through the windows, you know, lift up a lever, smell something, turn something, um, and, and experience what, you know, is behind the, those glass windows as opposed to just, you know, staring in and wondering what's happening. Um, you know, we, we had this, we have this large, we had it, we have it, <laughs> it's still there, um, a large interactive, you know, um, map of Brooklyn, like a fantastical map. Um, like homage to all things Brooklyn over time from Ebbets Field to, you know, Prospect Park. Um, and I mean, I have photographs of my grandfather and my, my relatives, you know, in Coney Island up on the, that, that exhibit as we, as we're here today. So, yeah. yeah. And a trolley car that goes across the kids can uh, control. Um, but uh, I mean, that was all you know, that factory was all leading up to uh, opening day. I mean, the opening day of the factory was, what, June June 26th? Yep, 2018. 2018. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so we had raised, God, I don't know, I mean, $8 million, $12 million by the time the factory had come online in order to build out more shops and to build out the factory. The, the process of building the factory had been you know, had taken two years, you know, it was supposed to take a year, but it took two years. The the architect had been brought up on charges at one point for uh, other jobs, not our jobs, but that delayed it. Um, there were all kinds of infrastructural problems with the building itself. Was it hard to raise the money? How did that happen? I, I mean, it, it surprisingly was not hard to raise the money. Um, I mean, we had been told that, you know, it, it obviously it's always takes a long time and 
to wrangle a lot of people and to raise money. But um, because of the relationship with Disney and because of the vision that we had painted for all of these opportunities from uh, Star Wars ice cream to Mickey Mouse ice cream to a shop at Disney to building a factory in Red Hook, I mean, we were able to tell a story to potential investors and they could see the next Ben and Jerry's. I mean, that's what we were sort of pitching. Uh, we certainly um, bought that drank that Kool-Aid and and, 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 and and it was a it was a relatively easy thing to do at the time was to, to, to raise money because they saw us uh, you know on that trajectory. Um, and we had people come to us. Um, we, you know, we didn't. We ended up turning away investors, you know, because we didn't want to. Obviously, you don't want to raise more money than you need at any given time. And so, when we, uh, when it came, each of those different raises—the four million dollar raise and the eight million dollar raise—you know—tapped out, and we had other people trying to get in and that couldn't uh, invest because we just didn't have room for them. Um, and you know, it was. Um, it was exciting uh, and overwhelming. You know, you have all that money in the bank account and you think there's, you know, you're invincible. Uh, I mean, you think you, you, you can do anything uh, and, and everything. And I think that, um, you know, in retrospect, we didn't have people around the table. We didn't have investors around the table. We had a lot of wonderful investors, a lot of very friendly people, a lot of real cheerleaders, mm -hmm. um, but we didn't have a lot of people with the kind of food and beverage experience, the kind of brick and mortar experience, the kind of day-to-day -day operational logistical mm -hmm. experience to be able to say, yeah, but, yeah, but, to, you know, to the different decisions we were making. We didn't, we, you know, we had a lot of um, yeses and yeses and yeses uh, out there. And, and it was, um, you know, you know, that was as much, you know, sort of our fault and the people that we picked to be around us, you know, uh, it was just, um, you know, I, I think that that's the, the hard part to live with now is to, to, to think that, you know, had we had just a few other people around the table. Um... Yeah, I mean, we were we were going with our gut, with our instincts, what we felt, you know, seemed right from our perspective. Um, Did you feel like you needed that at the time or you're looking at it in retrospect? Oh God, no! I mean, didn't need it at the time. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like at, at the time, I just wanted um, uh, all, all. I mean, we wanted the money, and we wanted the excitement, and we wanted. You know, we were confident in the vision, um, in the same way that investors were confident in it, and um, we had all of these things on the horizon. I mean, all of these things. We had Food Network saying we were the number one ice cream shop in the country. We had Oprah saying we were her favorite ice cream. And we had a shop that was going to open at Disney. And we had a factory. I mean, like, it's just, um, it's hard to see how that could go wrong. <laughs> I mean, I, so I wasn't thinking I needed it then. I, I'm just saying um, I certainly think uh, that I needed it then now, now which, you know, Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I don't know. I mean, it, it's uh, it makes it hard. Um, but you know, opening day. Opening day was fabulous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, CBS this morning came and filmed us, and um, we had a big, big party. 
Um, in Red Hook, it was um, people were just so enamored with that space. It, it was an incredible space. Yeah, it was. It was June twenty sixth, two thousand eighteen. The Mickey Mouse ice cream was going to launch in uh, September or October, um, just a couple months later. So we were gearing up for that, and um, you know, I think that was the the pinnacle was opening day was the idea that that was the mountaintop because everything was um, coming and within 16 months of opening day we declared bankruptcy wow yeah I mean it still gives me goosebumps and brings me close to to tears you know the plans were grand and wonderful I'd like to dive into what happened to the dream? Yeah. I don't know what you mean, the dream. <laughs> what do you mean? What dream? You know, you had these, you had the vision. Yeah. You, you made it a reality. Yeah. And then things took a turn for the worse. Yeah. So I'd like to talk about the series of events that led yeah. to that. I think that's uh, maybe next week. Yeah. <laughs> let's do it next week. Uh, let's leave at the uh, the, the top before uh, the, we fell right. off the cliff. Exactly. Thanks, Deb. Okay. <laughs> Talk Thanks. to you soon. Thanks, Bye. Deb.